scriptures, if you have them, to Luke chapter 24. We're going we're gonna to read in Luke today. And it was, it's funny because, and I say it's funny, but it's really not. <coughs> Man, my heart's heavy today, y'all. It's heavy. Lewis asked me to preach, I don't know, a month ago because he was going to be out of town for the meeting. And he, and I always ask him, hey, what, what do you want me to preach on? Do you think the church needs to hear anything? Is there anything that you want me to do um, in, in my walk with you and, and, and how he's been mentoring and pouring into me? And he said, why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't you do something on the doctrines of grace? And I said, okay. So I started working on it. And, uh, I mean, we all know the doctrines of grace, right? We believe in the doctrine of grace. We love the doctrines of grace. Um, they sustain. And uh, I had also been, in my own time, preparing a sermon on Luke 24, verses 13 to 35, the road to Emmaus, because I always, and as a counselor, I deal with people who doubt, who are sad, who are depressed, who are in fear, who don't understand sometimes why things happen. And so I contacted Lewis two weeks ago and I said, hey, I'm doing okay putting the doctrines of grace together, but my heart's just in this passage. Would you mind if I switch? And he said, no, go ahead. And so as I started to prepare this message and I started to study it and soak in the words of it and try to understand and wrap my head around what it means to doubt. Because we're all humans, brothers and sisters. Every single one of us in this room doubts it's at one point or another. And we, we doubt God. We doubt why He would allow things to happen the way they happen. We doubt our own belief in Him. We doubt our salvation. We doubt all kinds of things. Even though we know what we know from Scripture. And so how do we handle that? So that's the title of the message today, When Doubt Comes Around. When Doubt Comes Around. You don't have to, you don't have to do much right now if you have a phone in your pocket to know how bad things really are right now in the world. Israel, Ukraine, the government, poverty, homelessness, uh, sicknesses that not just in the world and, and around us uh, in the United States, right here in our own church body. We just found out again this morning about Darlene and um, man. Just breaks your heart. Breaks your heart to see our family struggle in these things. Sister Ann, Sister Forsma's daughter, Darlene, Hugh and every one of us to have somebody that we could put on a list to say pray for this person because fill in the blank. It's hard. And it's hard to it's hard to understand why. But brothers and sisters, there's an answer. That is the comfort, right? It's not comfort in cancer or sickness or all of these things, this war, these wars, plural. That's not how you find joy in the trial. The joy in the trial is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that He will sustain you through the trial and that you will grow because of it. 
How will our church respond today? That's up to us. The Lord has been merciful and given us this book and told us how we should respond today to what we just heard, to how we should respond to the situation in Israel and in Gaza, to how we should respond to Ukraine, to how we should respond to the homelessness, to the lostness, to the brokenness of this world. You see, and the reason why as believers we have such a hard time when things happen is because we have expectations, do we not? I'm a believer. I've been saved by Jesus Christ. He pulled me out of the darkness into the light. My life is going to be fill in the blank, according to Robert or whoever else. That's what we think. We love to go to Scripture and we love to see those verses that say, ask and you can have. Knock and it'll open up to you. But what if the answer is no? Then what? Then what do you start to think? What do you do when you lose somebody you love? Where does your mind go? Where does your heart go? What's your reaction and your action after the the bomb drops, so to speak? So let's talk about that. Because these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they experienced that doubt. And they experienced hopelessness and despair and depression and all of those kinds of things. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, and, and I don't mean this to come off in a, like, I'm pointing a finger at anybody, because that's not what it is, because I point them all at me. Depression and sadness and fear and anxiety and doubting and all of those kind of negative emotions, they are real and they exist. And it is not a sin in and of itself to feel those things. What becomes sinful is when we act out of those things. When our anxiety causes us to turn away from the God who saved us and loves us, and we start acting like the world, that's when anxiety is a sin. When depression takes us to a place where we would forget about God, and then we'll talk about what it looks like to forget about God this afternoon when we get back into Judges. When we forget about God and we run to the world and what the world has to offer, that's when it becomes sinful. So please join me in the Scriptures, Luke chapter 24. We'll read from 13 to 35. And then we'll. I want to break this down for us. I want to walk through this passage. There's so much to be drawn out from this. Starting in verse 13 of chapter 24 in the book of Luke. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were uh, holden or prevented that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and has not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? 
And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which, I'm sorry, astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened up to us the scriptures? And they rose up that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. So that's a lot. That's a, that's a big passage. It's a long passage, but it's so good, so rich. It is so comforting. These disciples of Jesus, only one of which, which we know their name, which was Cleopas, they are, as, as we saw in verse 17, they're sad. They're sad. So let's start at the beginning. Let's kind of see what's going on. Let's open this up. Let's set the scene for this doubt that we see from them, this sadness that we see from them, this overwhelmedness at the loss of their Savior that we see in them. If we go to verse 14, and it says, and they talk together of all of these things. What are all of these things? What does that mean? What are they really talking about? Praise God that we have scripture and we know what he's talking about, what, he, what, what they're talking about, because it tells us what they're talking about. And we can stay right here in the book of Luke to, to figure this out. If we were to go back to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 31 and going to 34, this is, this is Jesus talking to them and he, to his disciples and he says, then he took Unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. All the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man. That's scripture, right? He's talking about all the things that were written in scripture. I want you to remember that. Kind of put that in the, in the forefront of your mind because we're going to keep coming back to that. That's going to be a theme. 
verse 32 says, For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he, and on the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. So we see that Jesus, he foretells of his death and his resurrection. He tells them in chapter 18, this is what's going to happen. But here we are in verse 24, and they don't understand what happened, but they didn't understand what was going to happen in, in chapter 18 either. Right? And we're going to, we're going to work our way through that, but we're going to see that this spiritual blindness that they have is real. And we're going to have to talk about, we're going to have to work through, do we, do we put on the blinders sometimes as believers? Do we, do we become spiritually blind because of the things that we seek after and desire and want? And then in Luke chapter 22, and I'm not going to read all of these things, but I'm going to list them off and kind of talk through them a little bit. We see that Jesus has the Passover meal, right, with, with the disciples. And he, he institutes the Lord's table at that time, not in, in by so much in the way that he, he does it, but that it's there, that they're doing it. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays and he and he, he bleeds because of the anxiety that it, that's going to happen because he knows what's going to happen with his fa- uh, through the Father for him to be sacrificed for the sins of the world for those that would repent and believe. He's arrested in the Garden. His disciples fail him in the Garden. And then we go in, from going into from chapter twenty two into chapter twenty three. Jesus goes before the Sanhedrin. He stands before Pilate and Herod. The crowd wants Barabbas and they request this, this heathen sinner to be released and not the king of kings. And ultimately, he's crucified. Their conversation's not pleasant on the road. They're upset. They're arguing with each other. They are going back and forth trying to figure out How do we make sense of this? What in the heck is happening? Jesus is gone and he was supposed to do something for us. And now what are we going to do? There is no hope. There is all sadness. There is confusion. There is, they can't even, they they don't even understand and believe one another. Let alone remember what was said in the scriptures from the Old Testament and Brothers and sisters, what Jesus himself told them earlier in the scriptures. If you see in verse 34 of chapter 18, I'm going to go back there real quick. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. So there's this spiritual blindness. There's a spiritual blindness there. And if you go to Luke chapter 9, just really quick, because I want to, this is important. Luke chapter 9, verse 45 says, But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. And that is again in reference to Jesus predicting his own death. These brothers, these these disciples, they don't see it. They don't understand it. It's too much for them. So where are they at now? Well, they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure things out. And they're trying to figure things out on their own. 
So then we see in verse 15, back to chapter chapter 24 in Luke, we see in verse 15 that Jesus joins them on their walk. They don't know that it's Jesus. Their eyes are blinded to that fact, right? Again, we're talking about a spiritual blindness. He is not, they don't know that he's there. And it's it's their eyes being blinded. It's divine, brothers and sisters. This isn't because something happened and they just couldn't figure out that it was Jesus, like he had his head down or you know, maybe had his head covering uh, tucked up over him so that people couldn't see him and know who he was. No, God prevented them from seeing that it was the Son of God. And there was a reason for it. And we will cover that later on. And when we get to verses 25 and 27 of the same chapter, this blindness has theological significance. They didn't fully understand the fullness of Jesus, who was the Christ, and that he had to suffer to fulfill the will of God. They didn't understand that. They understood their expectation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that right here. So he says in in chapter, sorry, in verse 17, these men or these disciples they are sad. Jesus asks them, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And this just isn't like sad like, oh, my football team lost yesterday. No, this is a deep sadness, sorrow, depression, just overwhelming sadness. And it's because they had expectations Look what happens later on in the chapter, and we're gonna we're gonna talk more about it. But in verse twenty one, it says, "But we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel, redeem them from what?" Well, I can tell you this for right now: they didn't have salvation in mind. They had get us away from the Romans in mind. They had put us back on top in mind. We are God's chosen people. Get us up back there, Jesus. Get us back up to number one in the rankings. And that's not what Jesus came to do, was it? That is not what Jesus came to do. So they're sad. And they've forgotten the scriptures. Look in, in the same chapter, verse 24. Or I'm sorry, chapter 24. And uh, we see in verse six and seven says he is not there. So this is the, this is the women. He, they're saying, "Hey, he's not there, but he's risen." Remember how he spake unto you when he was set in Galilee, saying, "The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again." And they remembered his words. They didn't remember his words. They, they, they remember his words then when the women are reporting to the disciples, but these two disciples, they don't remember those words right now because if they did, they would have said, oh yeah, Jesus had to die and he, he is risen again. His body's not there because he's doing what the Father wants him to do. We can have hope in that because that is how we will overcome. But that's not how it is, is it? They're sad. And they just and and then later on in chapter twenty four, same in, in that same vein, in verse eleven, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. The disciples heard what the women had to say when they said Jesus isn't there, and they're like, ah, maybe not though. I don't know about that. Eh. Why? Jesus even said it back in chapter nine and chapter eighteen. These men would have known that Jesus was going to go to death and that he was going to rise, raise up from the dead. He made sure that they knew. 
And oh, by the way, they had the Old Testament to back it up. And they still doubted in their sadness. Why? Because things didn't go the way that they expected them to. And then I just think this is comedy. This this cracks me up every time I read it. I almost laughed reading it out here (laughs) for you guys. Cleopas answers Jesus in verse 18. He says, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that has not known the things which have come to pass in these days? Like, dude, where have you been? Don't you know? How funny is that? How ironic is that? They can't see that it's Jesus. We, as believers today, we get to have this insight that, man, these guys are making a fool of themselves to the king. And they said, hey, man, where were you? Have you been hiding under a rock? And they killed the king. They killed the, they killed our Messiah. <laughs> and these things, right? He says, have you not known the things which have come to pass? And then Jesus, I'm convinced he has a sense of humor. I don't know. I'm not trying to be blasphemous or anything like that, but listen to his response. What things? As if he doesn't know. If anybody knows what's really going on, it's Jesus Christ himself, is it not? It is Jesus himself. He knows, yeah, I was put to death because my people betrayed me. Yes, I was crucified. It was painful. Yes, my people are sad, but I've risen from the dead. Death ain't got nothing on me. I am the hope. My father sent me to save his people. What things? (laughs) It's so awesome. What things? So that's the setting. We're now set up. We now understand what's going on, why these disciples are doubting, why they're sad, why things are so discombobulated in their minds. So here's what I want to do today. I want to point out three things that we and that they ended up doing, but that we need to follow that these disciples did. Number one, I I just want to say this first, though. I wouldn't be the guy who would pray to Jesus that would say, Jesus, don't you know what's going on down here? Don't you see our congregation suffering because we have sick people? Don't you see the wars going on? What are you doing? What, do you see this? Do you see innocent people getting killed for no reason? Do you see our brothers and sisters in the church struggling with health issues? Do you see the need in our church for help with anxiety, fear, depression, uh, sin, all of those things? Where are you? That's not going to be my prayer. Because I think Jesus might respond to me with, a, with a, a, an answer like he did to these disciples. What are you talking about, Robert? What are you talking about, Robert? As if I don't know that he knows all that's going on right now in this church. In Ripley, in Mississippi, in the United States, and in the world. There isn't a molecule that doesn't move or shift or do what it's supposed to do without the say-so of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If we believe in God's sovereignty, that He is in control of everything, brothers and sisters, you have to mean everything. We will stand here and we will tell Arminians that the doctrines of grace mean that God chooses who is saved. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. But we'll say, but I don't know why this is happening in the same breath. 
God is sovereign over everything. That means he knows everything. That means he's in control of everything. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to reach out to help when we have our doubts. And you can put any emotion in there. I'm using doubt because that's what's going on with these guys. But you could say you need to reach out for help when you're sad. You need to reach out for help when you have anxiety. You need to reach out for help when you fill it in. Why? Because God didn't create us to be loners. Because God didn't say, hey, y'all, you're on your own. I did all the saving. You're on your own. No church body, no scriptures, no friends, no nothing. Fight the battle of life on your own. That's not how it is. So we need to talk about things. And here's a side note. It's a freebie. God gave us one mouth and two ears. When a brother or a sister comes to you and says, I need to talk to you because I'm struggling and I have some issues, brothers and sisters, I pray that you are a listener so that they can talk about it. And then I pray that when you respond, that you've been praying while you've been listening for a good response, not just a, well, you're anxious. Well, Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious. All right, I love you. Have a nice day. I'll be praying for you. What? How? What What good is that going to do anybody? So they have to talk about it. So Cleopas, in verse 19, he says, Jesus says, what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet. So here we're going to see that Cleopas starts to talk to Jesus, even though he doesn't know it's Jesus, because he's so overwhelmed. He just wants to talk to somebody. So even if the intention of Cleopas wasn't, I'm going to set everybody in the future, Christians, an example so that they know how to follow it, he ends up doing it because he starts talking through his problems, right? He says, he responds with that Jesus is, is from Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and people, that the chief priests and the rulers are going to put him to death, that the people are going to have him crucified, and these truths are anyone, are these truths, right? That Christ was the prophet, that he was mighty indeed, but then he was put to death. Those are enough to make anybody feel sad and hopeless and have doubt who believed and put all their hope in Jesus Christ. And now he's not there, right? The disciples loved him, but it's all about what they expected, right? Remember in verse 21, it says, we trusted that it had been him which would have redeemed Israel. We wanted him to save us. We wanted him to put us back in the rankings at number one. We wanted to be back on top. We wanted to be free from the Roman Empire. We wanted him to cleanse the the, the Israelite people from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the other seas so that we could just worship God and be the Israel that we were destined to be, which was God's chosen people and on top. They didn't want everything else that comes along with it, right? Don't forget, brothers and sisters, being God's people right here in this room, those of us that have confessed Christ and believe in him and follow him and that he's pulled out of darkness and into light, we are his people, but our lives are not worry and stress and pain and trial free, are they? No. No, it'd be so much easier if that's what Christianity was, right? Say this prayer. Let him into your heart. 
Everything's going to be okay. If it's raining outside, that means God wants you to have a yacht. What? <laughs> you know, that's that, that's that health and wealth prosperity gospel. It's hot outside. God's going to bless you with AC. I hope so. It's hot. It's not about our expectations. It's about the will and the purposes of God the Father. What is His will? What is His purposes? What is His ways? And then we see in, in, the, in the second half of verse 21, it says, Today is the third day since these things were done. Today is the third day. Where is Jesus is what they're saying. Where is He? We don't see Him. He's not around. We're, we're lost. And then he goes on to talk about that certain women came out and told him about everything and they didn't find his body. So what is he telling them? Well, we didn't find his body. These women told us about it. Go back to what we read in verse 11 of chapter uh, 23, right? Or Yeah, chapter 23, verse 11. And their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Well, these women told us that he was raised from the dead. We didn't find his body. We didn't believe them then. We don't believe it now. So he talks about it. He talks about it with this stranger. He does not know, Cleopas does not know that this is Jesus. But he talks about it. And then the, the next thing that happens in this story is where I want, if you don't take anything away from today's story, don't go home and laugh about my comment about it. Rain. if it rains, that means God wants you to have a yacht. It's funny, I get it. Uh, but take this away, okay? Point number two, this is the second thing that we need to do. We need to revisit the Scriptures to ease our doubt. We need to revisit the Scriptures to ease our doubt. Remember, the first thing that we need to do is we need to reach out for help with our doubt, and we have to talk about it. Now we have to revisit the Scriptures to ease our doubt, and we need to read and study about it. When we experience doubt, sadness, or disappointment as believers, we have two choices. We can go to the Scriptures and see how God wants us to handle it and deal with it and to learn of His will and His purposes for our lives. And that doesn't mean that you can open Scripture and find the page that says, my wife's been diagnosed with cancer. What exactly do I do when my wife is diagnosed with cancer? But what you can find is Scriptures that say, Brothers, count it all joy when you experience various trials because those trials are going to bring about some change in your life. They are going to perfect you, meaning spiritually mature you. They are going to make you a, I love this Greek word, teleos person, a complete person, meaning you are lacking in nothing that the Lord has given you everything that you need for that trial, in that trial, and after that trial. That's the, that's the first thing we can do is go to scriptures and get what we need. Or we can sit in our motions <clears throat> and we can let them drive and influence our division, our decisions. And then we can lean on our own understanding. Well, my wife has cancer. You know, my baby's sick or I lost a loved one or the war over here or the war over here. God is, he's nowhere to be found. I got this, God. I'll take care of it and I'll go figure things out www.fillintheblank.com. That, that's what's going to help us, right? The self-help websites, the follow-your-heart websites, the, the trust-in-your-own-self, just do what makes you happy. 
maybe we should go to the Bible and see how to re- and see how we respond to trials like Christ responded to trials. Maybe we look to scripture and we see that even though in the midst of our trials that God is with us. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> this is oh, I love this. I love Y'all, I don't mean, I'm not trying to whatever, but I I just love scripture. It's so good. It's so rich. It's so deep. It answers every question we have. Philippians chapter four, verse six. You have a friend. He comes and tells you, Oh, I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I don't know what to do. And you say, Oh, but verse six says, don't, don't be anxious for anything. Give it all to him. Pray. Look at the end of verse five. It says, The Lord is at hand. When you're anxious, the Lord is at hand. When you're sad, the Lord is at hand. When you're sick and you're going through chemotherapy, the Lord is at hand. When you're scared that your loved one may not recover from this sickness, the Lord is at hand. When the world is falling apart and going to hell in a handbasket, the Lord is at hand. If you can stand up right now and tell me a time when the when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit completely left you on your own and left you for nothing to die and be desolate and to be just utterly obliterated by Satan, go ahead and do it. Stand up and profess it. But we can't. We cannot. Because God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. None of us have that story in our, in our testimony of what God has done for us. So what does Jesus do? Look in verse uh, 25 and, and two, through 27. Then Jesus said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart. I want you to remember that phrase, slow of heart. To believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then Jesus, at the beginning of, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus didn't just tell them some crazy wild story, right? Jesus went back into the scriptures and started from the beginning. What's the beginning say? In the beginning, God, until Malachi, the end of Malachi, and he said, look at all these things that point to what Jesus had to do. Genesis 3.15, that's the first place we should look. Because he's going to crush the head of the serpent. That's the first place that we see the gospel in the scriptures. And then we can just move on. And move on. And move on. Jesus. Jesus. Redemption. 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 Christ takes them on an inductive Bible study. And he validates that scripture is inerrant, sufficient, and authoritative. Scripture is everything for us on this earth. There is nothing that this book cannot give us, solve for us, do for us, and expose in us. Praise God. You want to know where you're falling short? Hit the books. 
pray the prayer to God, Lord, reveal to me the sin in my heart, like in, in, in Psalm 51 when David prays that. That's a fast answer prayer, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you right now. You want to see God work in your life? Ask for that. I challenge you to do that. Christ knows that Scripture, if you turn with me, and this is a very familiar passage, but I still want to read it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not by inspiration of man, not by me or you, by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine or teaching, for reproof or rebuke, for correction. It teaches us what we need to know. It tells us when we're falling short, but... Praise God that He helps us figure out how to get better and how to move and be sanctified to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And it's for the instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Go to Romans. Go to Romans chapter 15. Come on, y'all got to be happy. I'm not making any old Miss jokes today, right? Okay, just checking. Just making sure everybody's still awake. Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, written back in the day, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Listen to that that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. What is the exact, exact opposite of doubt? Hope. Where, did they, where do you get it? From Scripture. From the things that were written in the old days. Right? This whole book was written in the old days. Let me know if anything was written in this year, because I don't think there was. This is where we find our hope. When you doubt, when you're sad, when you're overwhelmed, when life has got you in the place where you don't even want to exist, crawl into this book. Crawl into the Psalms. Listen to David and the other authors of the Psalms cry out to God. Listen to the response of those men who wrote those scriptures as God is faithful and answers their prayers. So Christ takes them on this inductive Bible study. What's an inductive Bible study? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you a definition. An investigative way of studying the Bible. This method helps provide an overall understanding of a passage of Scripture. And in this case, all of Scripture from Genesis to the, to, to the end of the prophets. What it says, the intended meaning to the original audience and how it can be applied to our lives. The who, what, when, where, and why of Scripture. That's what an inductive Bible, an inductive Bible study teaches you. If you're reading your Bible and you're you're making it through and you're you're hitting all these points, I'm, that's awesome. Look up an inductive Bible study. If you need help, I can send you twenty of them in a, in a minute. I've developed, and that's not to brag on myself, but working with men and doing discipleship and mentoring and counseling, you either get some from other people or you develop some to help guys study Scripture because I we understand. Biblical counselors understand. Pastors understand. Believers should understand. Scriptures have everything. Scriptures are everything. 
The big takeaway from today is that Jesus answered the problem by taking him back through Scripture to show him where hope could be found. Look at verse 25. I wanted, I told you I wanted you to pay attention to this. He said, Oh fools and slow of heart. They couldn't understand, see, or believe what was happening in their current situation. This isn't an intellectual failure. It's a moral failure. What we have our hearts set on is what we will hope and believe in the most. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. I know Lewis went through this book. It seems like a long time ago. I think that was like when I first got here, actually. It's been almost three years, brothers and sisters, since I've been here. That's a, it's crazy. It's crazy. Habakkuk 1 verse 5. Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously, marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it was told to you. Habakkuk knew that people would not believe the things of Jesus even though it was told to them. These people are slow of heart. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that their heart beats slow and their blood flows slow. It means that their heart is closed off. It means that they don't understand at the heart level What's happening? They may comprehend a little bit up here intellectually, but they don't understand in the heart. The hardest gap to close in a believer's life is right here, from the head to the heart. We can have the most intellectual understanding of Scripture and what it says and all these deep theological principles, and we can talk about eschatology and Christology and pneumatology and all these other ologies. But what good does it do if you can't take any of that and say, Man, our church just got bad news today. What do all those ologies mean now? What can we do? How can we hope in all of those ologies? It has to be more than intellectual, brothers and sisters. It has to be your heart. Nobody is going to get into the kingdom of heaven with just head knowledge. And see, how do we have a heart knowledge? How can we have a heart knowledge? How do you know if you can even, is it possible for you to? I would answer yes. And the reason why is because at the point where God was saving you, the Holy Spirit did open heart surgery on us and he came and he removed a heart of stone and he replaced it with a heart of flesh and that was a slow heart being turned into a heart that would understand. That was a dead heart that replaced with a live heart. It was a heart transplant so that you would understand the things of God if you will do your part. God was faithful and did his part. He saved us. What is our part now? to cultivate a relationship with Him, to be in the Word. You hear me and Brother Lewis and, and, and Caleb and Reed when we're here in the pulpit and we always talk about be in the Word. If this book collects dust on your shelf when you get home or on the corner nightstand or on the table by the front door and you're not reading it daily, you're missing out. You'll be sad. And your depression and your doubt and your fears and your sicknesses and your sins, they will overcome you. Because if you're not reading this, you're not praying. And if you're not praying and reading scripture, you're not coming to church probably. Or if you are, it's for a check in the box. And if you're not doing those three things, you sure as heck aren't seeking out any kind of accountability in your life. 
There's a reason why me and Lewis harp on the four B's. Be in the word, be in prayer, be in church, be in accountability. And notice it says be in. It requires you to do something. Jesus took them through this Bible study and it wasn't to overwhelm them. He wants to affirm for them what he is, who he is. Through that Bible study, he would have affirmed for the disciples that, and for us as believers today, because we have the scriptures, that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one that would save all who would repent and believe, all that the Father gave to him, that his suffering was necessary, and that God's plan for redemption is real, and that it all revolves around Jesus Christ. This is how their spiritual blindness would be removed. It wouldn't be by some intellectual light bulb that turned on in their head. It would have been done by the moving of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, reassuring them that these things that Christ, that happened to Christ had to happen. That Christ was still the Messiah. That salvation and redemption are possible. That it doesn't matter if Israel didn't get saved from Rome as a nat- as a nation. What matters is is that some of Israel would be saved by God for eternity. Scripture clarifies our doubt. It erases our doubt because it gives us truth. It gives us hope through truth for sadness, depression, and hopelessness. And hope in the truths of God's word brings peace and comfort to us in the midst of our trials. That's how you make it through the things that we go through. You reach out for help and you talk about it. You revisit the scriptures and you learn and you study about it. And a side note, when you go to talk to somebody about it, Don't go talk to somebody who's not going to point you to Christ. If you're a believer, talk to somebody who's going to point you to Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, they won't. And then what? I always tell this to to my my believer friends that are married. Why would you go talk to an unmarried, non-Christian friend about your marriage? What do you think they're going to tell you that would be any good for your marriage? Man, my wife, you know, she's really getting on me. Yeah, yeah, she is, man. I wouldn't stand for that. You should divorce her and come out with us. Let's go. (laughs) Why? Why would we go to anybody else but believers? Because if we're believing in Jesus Christ, even though we might have doubt or we might be sad or we might be overwhelmed with whatever's going on in life, we still have to seek out those believers so that they can point us to Christ, so they can point us to scriptures. That's why me and Lewis are adamant about only counseling y'all and anybody else that comes into these rooms from scripture, not from our own personal feelings or whatever else. And the last thing that we need to do is that we need to recognize the who that Scripture points to. In the in the last few verses, uh, um, 28 to 32, we see that they, it says, and they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made us, or he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass that he sat at 
meat with them. He took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened. <clears throat> sorry. And they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures, I highlight that because it's important because we need to know that we have to recognize the who and what scripture is all about. So they get, they get to where they're going. And it says in scripture that Jesus made as though he would have gone further. Don't see that as Jesus pretending that he was going to keep on walking, right? Like when I first read that, I was like, what? Was he like faking him out? Like, I might go. I might not. You guys going to let me come in? I'm really hungry and thirsty. No, he made as if he was going to keep on going because he was waiting for the invitation to come in. Pause. This doesn't mean the invitation. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. That's not the invitation here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... What you just said to us, strange man that we don't know, we want to hear more. Keep expounding Scripture to us. Keep telling us about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have hope. Come in. And oh, by the way, it was dark and there's robbers and things like that, so they didn't want this guy to get beat up. See, but Jesus, He trusted the process. Because Jesus knows the process. He's the author of the process. What's the process? Share scriptures. Knowing that God's word never comes back void. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. You aren't the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. And then watch and see what happens. And when I say that, I mean that. When you share the word of God with somebody who's struggling and the Holy Spirit turns on the lights and they finally say, I get it. This is the hardest thing I've ever gone through, but I get it. He does love me. He does care for me. He is there for me. He is everything. And so we know that that happened because Jesus flips script on him now, right? In verse 30, Jesus goes from the guest to the host. Listen, and it came to pass as he, Jesus, sat at meat with them, he took the bread and blessed it and gave and, uh, and blessed it and break and gave to them. And when that happened, what happens? Their eyes were opened. And then he took off. He was gone. And then they realize and they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't we just have an open heart surgery? Didn't the Holy Spirit just charge our hearts back up so that our hearts wouldn't be slow anymore and we would realize and understand that Jesus is the Christ and everything that he went through has a purpose and it's not about us. It's about God and his will. So what's the application? Verses 33 to 35. I'm not going to read it again, but here it is. When all of that happens, when you go and you reach out and you talk to somebody about what's going on in your life and they revisit the scriptures with you and they help you study and learn about it. And then you recognize the who scripture's teaching us about and the what that scripture's teaching us about and the light switch comes on in your head and your heart, and you realize, 
I had it all wrong. It wasn't about my needs and desires and wants and expectations. It was about Jesus Christ. It was about God the Father and His wills, His ways, His purposes. We're required to do some things. Number one, we need to go rejoice and retell. Look at verse 32 or 33. And they rose up the same, at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. That was a seven mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they went back that same day. Okay. That's 14 miles just for us math challenge people and found the 11 gathered together with, uh, and them that were with them. And those guys were saying, the Lord is risen. So don't, don't miss that. That's not, that's not these two disciples that went back to go share the good news with them. This is the disciples, the other 11 disciples sitting around the table saying, you guys, the Lord really is risen. The Holy Spirit had done a work in their heart too. I do kind of feel bad for these guys because they sprint that, you know, they, they make back this journey to go to Jerusalem to go in there and tell the disciples everything that they had learned and everything that they had seen. And when they get there, they're already talking about it. It's like, oh, but guess what? It doesn't matter, right? For them, it's just they're just rejoicing and they're retelling. They want to glorify God. They want to magnify Christ and they want to edify others. Number two, we need to reassure each other. Hey, Brother Davis, I always think about you when I think about this. He's, he is the first person in this, in, this, in this building that will say something along the lines, I just want to praise God for fill in the blank. That's reassurance. That's reassurance for the rest of us and all the requests that we can pour out and all the lists that we can fill here for all the prayer requests. What are we thankful for? What are we reassuring each other with? How are we helping each other understand God? Well, we reassure people. We reassure people by revealing to them what's in Scripture, by revealing to them and to us that our prayers are answered. And then we reveal to other people how we respond. That goes right along with what Brother Caleb was talking about, is our proclamation can be how we live. If God has done so much for us, then why shouldn't we do much for Him? And then number three, we reprioritize. We stop focusing on ourselves, and we stop thinking about what we want and how we want it, And we focus on God through his word, through the illumination of the spirit, through the conviction of the spirit. And we say, my life is going to be lived in a way that is God first and everything else, because everybody has different priorities. Some of us are married. Some of us have kids and so on and so forth. But if God is first, you can't go wrong. You can't. You won't. But the minute you take your eyes off of glorifying God, magnifying Christ and edifying others, you will lose your way. You will, you will fall off the path and you will stumble into what the world has and you will start to seek after what they offer. So in conclusion, I want to challenge you. Life is hard. We know that. Life is difficult. Life is overwhelming. Life is sad. If you're a believer, where are you going to go? Who are you going to go to? Where you're going to go is here and on your knees. Who you're going to go to is God, the Father, Christ, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. You're going to go to other believers so they can point you to Christ. How will you react? Will you choose to react in a way that 
glorifies God, magnifies Christ, and edifies others? Or will you choose to live for the world and sin in your misery that you're feeling and all these things that are happening and you will allow it to overcome you and then you choose to sin? Hear that word, choose. We do have choices in life. We can choose not to sin or we can choose to sin. It's up to you. So if you're a believer, what are you going to do? If you're sitting in here today and you're not a believer, oh, I hope your heart has tension in it right now. I hope your heart is hearing and thinking, wait, what do I do? I'm not in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, I'm going to repeat what Brother Caleb said. Why not? Why are you not in Christ? What's holding you back? Christ is the answer. And we know that because the scriptures tell us that. And we believe and trust in that because God has given it to us. So when doubt comes around, would we be a people and a church that reaches out and talks about it and that revisits the scriptures and studies about it and that we would recognize the who and the what that it's about? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Story is amazing, Father, that Jesus would meet two men in their sadness, their sorrow, and their doubt, and that he would reveal to them the answers through your word, that he would build them up in your word. Lord, I pray for all of us here, believers and unbelievers alike, that we would be strengthened by your word. For those of us that believe, Lord, I pray that it would drive us closer to you, that we would not rely on ourselves, that we would rely on you, and that we would not run to the world, that we would not be overcome with our emotions, and that we would not choose to sin. And for the unbelievers, Lord, I pray that it crushes their heart and that the Spirit would work in their lives and that your word would not return void, Lord. And I pray that tension was was brought forth and that they have to think. And Lord, I pray that you would draw those whom you would draw close to you. Lord, we love you and we, we lift up all the people in our church that are sick and that are afflicted at this time with physical emotional, mental, spiritual anguish, Lord, that you would be there in the midst of them, that you would heal them, that you would give them peace and comfort and joy, that you would love on them where they're at. Lord, may, be, be, may we be a people that remembers that you are at hand, that you are close to us. God, we love you. We say this in your name. Amen.